society likes to make up answers to the God question. Those are answers. Those aren't necessarily my answers. As a matter of fact, they're not my answers. I have a much more specific concept of God. My concept of God is rooted in God's revelation, not just some kind of, you know, let's walk on down the yellow brick road to the kingdom, to the yellow brick road to the kingdom of Oz. Let's just kind of make up some ideas that are nice about love and about goodness and fairness and say, well, that's God and the sunset is God too. And if you just feel good, that's God. My concept of God is rooted in the revelation of God in the Bible. God created the world. God at one point then entered his own creation as the person of Jesus Christ. And he wanted us to know him so intimately and personally, and he wanted us to live forever. And so he gave himself for us. And we have an opportunity, an amazing opportunity to know him and to live for him and to have him living in us. The Bible talks about he's the vine and we are the branches. And somehow we've got to have this connection that makes all the difference in our lives apart from him. John says, we can do nothing. And so rather than have some kind of of just amorphous understanding of God, an eclectic understanding of God, God's a little of this, God's a little of that, I want to teach you who God is. I want to teach you about his revelation in real space and time in history, his desire to know you. And so we're reading this book together, The Me I Want to Be, Becoming God's best version of you. And as we read this book together, we're going to discover some things that are unique about us. We're going to go, I never knew that before, and I really like that. We're going to discover some other things that are hard to know about ourselves. But that's why the Bible talks about, in the book of James, look in a mirror. Look in a mirror. See who you really are and begin to make the kinds of changes in your life that need to be made. And so I challenge you. Some of you have already started reading the book. We have more books available today. Read this book with me. It will not be easy, but it will be a significant learning experience in your life. It'll be one of the best spiritual growth experiences you've ever had. People ask me all the time, how do I grow spiritually? What do I do? Here's a book that will help you grow spiritually. Here's, here's a track to run on, and I'll run with you today, and for two more weeks, we'll figure this out. Let's do this together. Last week, we talked about the different kinds of me, the me I pretend to be, the me I think I should be, the me other people want me to be, the me I'm afraid God wants, the me that fails to be, and the me I am meant to be. John Orberg told us that the most important task of our lives is not what we do, but who we become. And I talked about that in terms of the, the word flowing, and, and flowing is kind of a, a metaphor for what it means to, to live as the Holy Spirit is living in you and through you. And I said, here are the flowing lessons. If you're going to flow, you have to want to flow all the time. If you're going to flow, you must flow as you. You must become you If you're going to flow, you have to hang around people who are flowing. If you're going to flow, you have to answer the question, the question that God asked Elijah that we talked about last week. What are you doing here? If you're going to flow, you have to admit you're not doing the best you 
can. And so today I want to engage three questions with you. Who am I? How am I spiritually wired? How do I grow as a Christian? John 3. This is from the message. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me, unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above by the wind of God, the spirit of God. Nicodemus asked, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, you're a respected teacher of Israel and you don't know these basics? Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There is nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you things that are plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of things you can't see, the things of God? No one has ever gone up into the presence of God except the one who came down from that presence, the Son of Man. In the same way that Moses lifted the serpent in the desert so people could have something to see and then believe, it is necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And everyone who looks up to him trusting and expectant, will gain a real life, eternal life. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust, to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God who introduced, when introduced to him. 
This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. It's one of the most famous case studies in the New Testament. Here is one of the smartest Jewish leaders, Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus at night. He comes at night because he is trying to go undercover. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's really getting out there to talk to Jesus because Jesus is stirring up a lot of controversy and there's a lot of debate about him and, and there's a lot of frustration with him. But, but something drives Nicodemus to go. And so he goes and he, he asks him this question and Jesus begins to explain to him the reality of life. How would you like an opportunity to talk directly to God, to talk directly to Jesus Christ and have him in just a few moments just lay out the whole meaning of life right there so you could choose whether you wanted to live forever or not or just go your own way. It's an amazing thought. It's an amazing opportunity that Nicodemus had. Little side footnote, Nicodemus is there after Jesus dies on the cross. And Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, takes the body of Jesus and then puts it in the tomb. So Nicodemus, the Bible says, became a secret follower of Jesus Christ. But right at this moment, Jesus is blowing his mind. Jesus is, is telling him things that he has kind of sort of thought about, but he hasn't ever really been able to totally figure out. And what Jesus is saying is that you're born into this world. You're born. I guarantee you this. Everybody who's sitting here right now, you were born. Okay, you don't remember, but you were born at some point. You popped into the world. There you were. And then somebody gave you a name, and then you were on this journey called life right up to this moment, and here you are today. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that happens to everybody. You're born into this world, but you have to have some kind of a transformative inner experience. Something has to happen that changes you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus calls being born from above. So he's using the idea of a physical birth, a human birth, to give you the bigger picture of you need a spiritual birth. You need a, a regenerative process in your life that begins with God wanting to do that in your life and you reaching out for that. And that involves your surrendering to him. And so Nicodemus gets kind of, you know, confused by all that. And Jesus just keeps laying it out and laying it out and laying it out. And he says, look, I came into the world to save the world. I didn't come into the world to judge the world. I came in to save it. But even as I came in to save it, people keep wanting to go their own way. They want to make up ideas about God instead of knowing God in full-time, full-color reality. And so that's what that story is about. And it takes us into the first question. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? In 1946, Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
wrote an amazing poem. Uh, he was a, a young theologian in Nazi Germany. He participated in uh, an assassination attempt on Hitler. He was ultimately executed. Uh, but uh, he wrote this poem as a young Christian clergyman that to this very day, every time I read it, it just hits me. It just hits my heart. It's called, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell of, or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing an expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptibly woe-begone weakling? Or something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Oh, that last line. That last line, whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. That answers the question, who am I? Because we're always going to go back and forth between what we think we should be or what we try to be or the, the masks that we wear so that people think we are that we're not and the, the reality of what's going on inside. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Who am I? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've invited him to be in charge of my life and will spend the rest of my life in a discovery process of what that means. That's what Bonhoeffer is saying. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. And as a Christian, you have to get to that place in your life where you go, you know, I'm a lot of things, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've invited him to be in charge of my life and will spend the rest of my life in a discovery process of what that means. In the book, The Me I Want to Be, John Ortberg writes, when spirituality gets discussed in our culture, there are some messages from the Bible that everybody likes hearing. No matter how much you mess up, God still loves you. Everyone likes that one. You are so busy and exhausted, God wants you to be rested and refreshed. 
That sounds good too. But what about these? You need to surrender. You are stubborn and stiff-necked. You are self-centered and self-promoting. Your own desires are very often self-serving. Your ability to perceive your own sin is blinded by self-deception. You need to bend the knee. You need to submit your heart. You need to confess your sin. You need to surrender. Surrender is a hard word. I will name one person who I know for sure doesn't like to hear that. Me. Me, he writes. And so, if you really want to know who you are, as a man in Christ, as a woman in Christ. If you want to get beyond the confusion of a Nicodemus trying to understand what God is offering him, you have to get to that place where you go, whoever I am, you know, God, that I belong to you. Question number two, how am I spiritually wired? I'm going right into the, into the book to give you this answer. How am I spiritually wired? And what's really exciting about this section of the book is that it frees you. It releases you in a very real and tangible way to be the person God made you to be, to be who you really are. Every one of us is unique. Every one of us has unique qualities and characteristics, unique ways that we used to connect ourselves to God. And each way is good in the way that God has designed it within us. We're all unique. I've been waiting for you to ask me about my shoes today. Nobody asked me yet. Uh, These are unique shoes. I like these shoes. These are Keens. They are the goofiest, clumsiest, ugliest shoes, I think, out there on the market. But I like them. They're so comfortable. They just fit so well. They've got all these, these air vents, so the air is fine. Circulating, circulating, circulating. They have these giant rubber toes, so you can't hurt your toe. You can, like, kick everything, do everything. People can step on your toe. You can't get hurt. And, and they're just so cushioned. You know, you can do this and jump. It's, it's great. But they're goofy. You know, they're all yellow on the bottom. <clears throat> you know, and... They're just goofy, but I like them. This somehow is an expression of me. I don't know what expression of me that is. I don't even want to think that much about it. You know, but somehow I see myself in these shoes, and these shoes become a part of me, and, and, and they announce that I am different. I am a little quirky. I am a little weird and strange, but that's okay because I'm comfortable in this pair of keens. They seem to work as good as a pair of dress shoes this morning. They're not impeding my, my, my message preparation. They're not impeding my ability to talk. It's okay that I'm wearing these. Now, if it was First Baptist Church, I'd be in trouble, but you know, they'd be calling an elders meeting or a deacons meeting. Like, what kind of a thing was he doing this morning? Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about your pathway to God. There are all these different ways that you can connect with God. These are all in the book, but I've sort of pulled them out and kind of added a little bit to each one. And you, you choose which one is yours, or maybe there's a couple that you really connect with. And this helps you to know how the Holy Spirit of God wants you to experience God. There's the naturalist. The naturalist 
finds God in natural environments, watching sandpipers at the beach or deer in the mountains becomes a connection with God. Now, that's not God, but it's a way that you experience the wonder and the mystery of God. The ascetic, spiritual disciplines is what really make a difference in the life of an ascetic. It's why uh, centuries and centuries ago, uh, men and women would, would sort of sequester themselves away from it all. They would just pray, and sometimes they wouldn't eat for long periods of time. Spiritual disciplines are very important to people who are, who are oriented towards asceticism. Writing a journal or rising early to pray becomes a connection with God. The traditionalist values the time-tested forms, values the time-tested forms of worship. Singing hymns and reciting responsive readings becomes a connection with God. An activist says, let's do something that matters. Let's do something that really matters. Let's, let's feed the hungry or let's go on a mission trip. And that becomes a connection with God. A caregiver is a servant-hearted a person who lives constantly serving others, servant-hearted living, providing any type of service to anyone becomes a connection with God. You just want to serve. You want to fill that little gap. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be something big. A sensate person, person who has feelings and emotions, experiences of sight, sound, and emotion, immersion in artistic environments becomes a connection with God. For an enthusiast, growing through relationships becomes a connection. Discussion groups, large events, and community development become connections with God. Somebody who's contemplative is the opposite of that. Growing through reflection is how they find time with God meaningful. Being quiet and finding personal time to be alone in prayer or just to think become connections with God. An intellectual likes to read books, go to classes, take seminars, expresses the pursuit of God through constant learning. Discovering the integration of faith and life becomes a connection with God. And so you see, each of us has at least a primary way that we connect with God. And we might have a secondary way. We might even have a third way that kind of comes in every once in a while. But what you have to be able to do is go, I own that. I own that, and that helps me to know how I really connect with God. You see, if somebody says to me, Michael, we're having this gigantic concert of prayer. There's going to be a 1,000 people there. Will you come? Will you sign up for that? I say, no. Uh-uh. And it sounds like I'm unspiritual. It sounds like I'm against prayer. I am not against prayer. I just don't pray with a thousand people. I usually pray by myself because there's a contemplative part of my life and that's how I really connect better with God. You see, uh, if somebody says, we're going to go hike in the mountains and, and we're going to have a Sunday morning service around a campfire, I go, can I wear my keys? Because if I can't, I'm not going. That's the only way I'm going because I don't do fires in the mountains. I don't even do 
the mountains. I don't connect. That's just, that's painful to me. That's like me connecting with the devil or something. It's like, I don't, it's like, I don't do that, you know? And so each of us has our way. When I read a book, it just, it gets me all connected up with God. I do, I read books all the time. And that doesn't mean you have to read books all the time. But we have to experience God all the time. So, so honor your life and honor the way God created you and wired you spiritually by owning your pathway to God. Some, of, some, some Christians, some Christian men and women never feel connected to God because they've never owned the way God wired them. Some of you have been wired to go do something that matters for years and because you've never gone to really do something that matters, you feel kind of, you feel bogged down. You feel lethargic in your spirituality. It's because you haven't plugged into the way that God's wired you up. On top of that, on top of that, and that's all in the book for you to spend more time with and to think about. On top of that, you have a learning style. And so you're either visual or auditory or you're tactile, touching, oral, social, logical, imaginative. And so when you, when you link up your, your spiritual wiring with your learning style, you should feel something almost explode inside of you. You should feel something leap in your heart because you're connecting to God in, in, the, in the exact way that he's made you to connect with him. If I can be in a, in a theater watching a show that has spiritual themes in it and in and, and the darkness, I'm, I'm watching all the, the, the actors and the scenery and everything. I'm going to see Godspell, for instance, this Friday night, Godspell at Regent University. That will blow my mind. And I've seen it a dozen or more times. But I will be so excited because I'll be in an imaginative environment in a contemplative setting. And that's how God has wired me up. Wartburg says, in order to really understand who you are, you have to understand what your signature sin is. Not just your pathway to God and your learning style, but your signature sin. He writes, when I am aware of my signature sins... I am less vulnerable to them. Knowing where the landmines lie is the first requirement of a safe journey. The Bible talks a lot about going off the path, missing the mark. And that's what sin is. Sin misses what's God's best for you. And sin, I learned this just yesterday with the speaker up in Williamsburg, in sin, God is just speaking to you and saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. That's going to hurt you. That is destructive. Think about all the, the people that have been you know, in headlines recently. And think about if somebody would have said to them, stop doing that. That's going to break your life. What a change that would, have, that would have made. And so your signature sin could be sort of in a, in a broad brush way, just being selfish. Or your signature sin 
could be something that's a little more specific and, and that you know when you go there or when you engage in that thought process or that behavior, that is self-defeating behavior or it's self-defeating in terms of you connecting better to God. And so when you know that and you submit that to God, God will help you stay away from that. But when you, when you let that have reign in your life and free play in your life, it, it's disconnecting from your spiritual wiring. Then he says, you need to know what your season of life is. What is my season of life? What is my season of life? And when you understand your season of life, you understand that there are certain issues that relate to where you are. If you're a young 30-year-old married with with two kids or, or three kids, you're in a very busy season of life. And right now, maybe you can't do everything that God wants you to do. You might want to go on a mission trip just to get away. <laughs> but we won't let you go. Now, on the application, we'll see three kids. Well, you better stay home with the three kids. This doesn't work. No, you can't go to Nicaragua. There's some people who can't go. Um, and so if you're, if you're an older adult and, and sort of empty nest, you have more flexibility, more freedom to think out of the box about what could I do now? Where could I, I leverage the wiring that God has placed inside of me? And so as you look at those things, as you look at your, your learning style, your signature sin, your season of life, and your, your pathway to God, now you're getting some real handles on who you are. You're getting a handle on becoming God's best version of you. So we've looked at who am I? Whoever I am, God, I'm yours. We've looked at how you're spiritually wired. And let's answer one more question. How do I grow as a Christian? One way to grow as a Christian is clearly by reading the Bible. Uh, The Bible is God's truth. The Bible is God's lessons for life, its principles that will, will anchor your life and ground you. Uh, but how do you, how do you read the Bible? And you can go through all different kinds of, of programs about that. Let me just give you a couple of, of different ideas here that come out of uh, the book. Read the Bible with curiosity. Read it like a child. Remember Jesus? So they were saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they, and they were asking a power question, a political question. He brings in a little kid. He goes, it's this kid. It's this kid who watches Sesame Street all the time. This kid is the best in the kingdom. And it, it plays with your mind. Read the Bible with curiosity. Try to see some things that you haven't seen before. Read the Bible with expectancy. Expect that God's going to say something to you. So often when I read with expectancy, God says something to me. Read the Bible the way you watch a movie. And and John talks about this in the book. You see a movie, and then you see other, you meet with some other people who have seen the movie, and you're all kind of saying, well, I thought it was this, and I thought it was this. And you feel free to kind of enter the discussion of interpreting the movie and what that could have been and what that might have been. So often we come to the Bible, and we think that we have to, to have it right, or we have to know exactly what theologians like Augustine said 1,600 years ago to be to be right with God and with other people in Christian community. And, and John says, just read the Bible the way you watch a movie and then talk to some other people about what you're seeing and how that made you feel 
and what you thought when you first read that. Be free. Be free to express what is going on inside of you as you read. And then read the Bible, he says, and do something. Read the Bible and do something. Respond to it. Whatever it says to you, whatever you're, you're seeing there, get up and go do something with that. And then how do you grow as a Christian? The Bible, prayer. And, and to pray, you have to know what you're asking for. If you know what you're asking for, you'll know when you get an answer. So be specific. Ask God for a job. Ask God for some, some direction in a particular area of your life. Ask God to help you find the right apartment to rent or find the right house to buy. Ask God to, to direct you to the right place in church to find spiritual connectedness with other people. But be really, be really specific. And then he says, when you find yourself out of the flow, because we're human beings and we are going to find ourselves out of the flow, jump back in. Just jump back in. Invite the Holy Spirit to examine your soul. Find out how did you get disconnected? How did you get out of the flow? And then finally, and this is where you really bring faith and life together. You're reading the Bible. You're praying specifically. You're jumping back in when you get disconnected. Be honest about your brokenness to the right people. You can't talk about your brokenness to everybody, and you shouldn't. And the right people are always always have two characteristics. They are people of wisdom and they are people of grace. People of wisdom will help you understand why you are broken. And people of grace will help you to walk through your brokenness so that you get to the other side. Even though you might still be broken, always, they'll help you move closer to being God's best version of you. Who am I? How am I spiritually wired? How do I grow as a Christian? These are great questions that you must answer. And you must own this stuff. The more you own this, the more life you will feel. You will feel what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must be born from above. You'll sense that there's a much bigger connection than than any connection that is horizontal. This vertical connection is so huge, it drives everything that's horizontal. The horizontal can never drive the vertical. The vertical always drives the horizontal. Warburg writes, God's plan is for you to become the best version of you. But right now, there are two versions of you. There is the you God made you to be, and there is the you that currently exists. What do you do with the gap? And that's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. You've got to own some stuff to close that gap. The foundational idea of the whole book is on page 39. The only way to become the person God made you to be is to live with the Spirit of God flowing through you. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It was God himself explaining life to us. This is how life works. On page 44, Ortberg writes, the Holy Spirit is always ready to guide you toward toward God's best version of yourself. That's what God wants. He wants to drive you towards the best version of you. 
And then he says on page 48, the greatest battle of life is spiritual. It is the struggles with resentment and anger and greed and superiority that keep me from living in the flow with God. And in summary, he says, surrender to a personal God who will walk with you through the rest of your life is your greatest hope. Surrender to a personal God who will walk with you through the rest of your life. That's your greatest hope. This book will fry your brain, but this book will make you a better you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the lessons from John chapter 3 when you met with Nicodemus and when you just, you just fried his brain. You were bringing the truth of life right into the light for everyone to see. You came so that we would have a very specific revealed picture of who God is. And you gave us the opportunity to trust you with our lives so that we would live forever, but that we would also become the the best versions of ourselves right here. So help us to move toward that. Help us to be people who are born from above, who make that decision to know you and then to follow you. Help us to know who we are, that whoever we are, the good and the bad and the in-between, we are yours. Help us to to live and own our spiritual wiring. Help us to know our signature sins. And most of all, help us never, never to give up surrendering our lives to you each and every day. Father, take us now into this day and take us into this week and shape us into the me's we want to be. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.